Well, this Christmas season that we're entering into is a season that on the Christian calendar we call it Advent. And it's not the end of our year as Christians. It's the beginning. It's a time where as you look at the year that's, that's coming, you prepare your heart, you prepare your mind, you prepare yourself for Christ to be born anew in your life as you face what's to come. And for a lot of us, I mean, this would be a great year to take back our lives. You know, it, it feels like life just, it, it, it gets out from under our control a lot, doesn't it? And we talked a couple of weeks ago of how there are some things that are just beyond your control. And, and Nick did a great job of, of sharing some truth from God's scripture. What do you do in those situations? Well, what we're doing now in this series is we're talking a little bit more about those things that, that are more under our influence. And, and things that we can, we can speak into generally a little bit more. So that's what we're looking at here. Now, um, if you picked an, a person from ECC and you just picked them at random and you said, hey, let's go for coffee and I just want to get to know you better. And if you could find a day when your schedule's actually matched up, if you could pull that off, and you got together and you were talking, you said, you know, how are things going? I would almost guarantee that one of these words would come up in your conversation. Busy? Or overcommitted, or overextended, or overwhelmed, or possibly even exhausted. And I won't ask for a show of hands, but I'm going to guess, just if we took a random sample here, at least one of those words would come out of your mouth. And not because you're complaining, but just because you're saying this is how life is right now. In fact, I was thinking about our theme. I was thinking about the, the Grinch and, and, and all that. And, uh, and, and this clip came to mind that sometimes I think we feel like Max in this clip. Maybe you'll recognize this if you've seen this one before. Let's take a look here. They up with their presents, their ribbons, their wrappings, their snoof and their fuzzles, their tringlers and trappings. Up the side of Mount Crumpet, he rode with his load to the tip-top to dump it. How many of you, when you were little, you felt really sorry for little old Max? Poor, poor old Max, yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. We had a lot of compassionate people here. We did ask the same question at 9 o'clock, and they're like, yeah, I felt so bad. Well, here's the thing. That was how we felt when we were kids. Some of us, we would trade places with him in a heartbeat, you know, this time of year. Because he's got one sled, one mountain, and then he can punch out. Wouldn't that be nice? One sled, one mountain, get to the top, and you're done. Would love that. Most of us, we got five or six different sleds heading up five or six different mountains all at the same time. And about you take three steps, and every three steps you got a phone call, and every three steps you got a text, and every three steps you got an email, and you're trying to make all that work. And if should you get to the top of one of your five or six mountains, you realize that's not the top. This is just one peak in a whole range of mountains ahead. And then there's all these little tasks, the ones I call my ten minute tasks. Ten-minute tasks only take ten minutes. 
problem is, how many do we have? 10,000 10-minute tasks. You start doing the math and you go, how is this going to work? In my profession, maybe you guys, I know many of you can relate. In my profession, 7,000 of my colleagues' churches will close this year. And only 4,000 new churches will start in the United States. 7,000 will close. Only 4,000 will start. In my profession, 50% of those who start out in my field don't make it five years. Half. Half of the people who start out in my field don't make it five years. Of those who do hang in there, and these are the ones who admitted it, 50% feel so discouraged that they'd leave the ministry if they could afford to do so. Half of them that are still in it would leave if they felt financially they could get out. And almost half of what I do, um, who do what I do, confess they've experienced depression or burnout to the extent that they needed to take a leave of absence from their ministry. You know, it, it, my, my point here is not to say my job could be up your job. That's not my point. My point is I get it. I get it. I, I get what it's like to have more to do than can ever get done. I get what it's like to always be disappointing somebody because you just can't keep up. I get what it's like to have someone literally ask you, so what do you do for fun? And you don't know because it's been so long since you've done anything just fun that you, you don't, you're not sure. Um, and here's the thing. Before we all start going, yeah, our life is just so tough. You know? and like I said, before we start doing that, um, I'd encourage you to write this. Many of, well, this is where I wanted to start with. I just jumped right into how busy I am here. Many of us, going back to Max, many of us, if you want to write this in your notes, many of us would trade places with poor old Max in a heartbeat. But here's, the, here's, here's where we want to go with this. Not to stay there, but to say, you know, many first century Jews, they would trade places with us in a heartbeat. Before we start thinking, hey, we got it really tough with, with our burdens that we're trying to pull or these burdens that we're trying to carry or all these things that we're hitched up to. If you compared a random ECCer to a first century Jew and you said, hey, you guys want to trade places? I don't think many of us would trade places with them. They had some real burdens. First century Jews were living under military occupation and it had been that way for centuries. These people were poor. Or barely enough to feed their families, barely enough to survive. And then the Jewish faith, which should have been a source of such great peace and joy and hope, now had so many man-made amendments thrown on it, hundreds and hundreds of these man-made amendments. Now this thing that was supposed to bring them hope and be inspiring was now so burdensome that it was a load that they couldn't carry. So on a continuum of heavy burdens, if, if we've got Max right here, Ah, uh, that's, that's what my kids said. Ah, uh, and then they said, can I have him? I said, no, I can't have him. Uh, so if we've got, we got Max, and Max on the continuum is here in terms of heavy burdens, and we're feeling like, Max, you got it easy, and we're over here, first century Jews, we're, we're still further along, much further along than, than most any of us in terms of the burdens that they were carrying, the heavy loads that they were under, and into their world which is what we celebrate this time of year, into the world stepped Jesus. And to those people who were loaded up with burdens that are heavier than most of us will ever feel, he said these words that we're going to look at today. And here they are. If you have your Bible, why don't you open with me to Matthew chapter 11, starting with verse 28. And as we're turning here together, I want to let you know that we keep a stack of Bibles. If you're new to our church, we keep a stack of Bibles there at, uh, on those tables on either side. And they're for you. They're not just to use during the service. They're for you as a gift. So please take one. We'd love to give you one 
uh, if you don't have a Bible at home. All right, here's what it says. This invitation, these are from, this is from Jesus himself. This invitation from Jesus says this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, there were people that took Jesus up on this invitation. There were real people. These were real words given to real people, and they took him up on that. And it changed their lives. So much so that in the face of persecution, heavier than anything they're already under, in the face of persecution, they took this message throughout the world, even to places like Minnesota, eventually. It got here. And this is, these are the words that were passed down to us from people who, who received this in a real situation. It worked And now they've passed these words on to us. So let's explore this invitation. And there's a lot here. I was thinking, I'm a country kid. I don't need to really study this passage. I can just speak on it, you know. But I've learned better than to just trust my instincts on a lot of this stuff. So here's my desk uh, this week. Uh, Here's a picture of that. Um, Literally, this is not for show. Every one of those books, I went went through and saw what they had to say about the word yoke and, and looked them all up. And there's the Grinch in the background. He doesn't want you to hear this, all right? But I do, and God wants you to hear this too. So here's some of the, just in the little time we've got today, here are some, some things that we found uh, about this text. And again, it says, come to me, this invitation. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle. I'm lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Earlier in the same book, it's interesting, in the book of Matthew that we're looking at here, in chapter 4, Jesus gives a real similar invitation. He gives an invitation to his first disciples. And there, the words were slightly different. He says, um, come after me, is one way to translate that. Or you could say, follow me. And here, the invitation is a little more personal, and it's, it's, dare I say, more intimate of an invitation. He says, to all of you who are laboring and you're heavy laden, those of you who have felt the weight of oppression and the burdens of religious legalism and the demands of just trying to put food on the table and hold your family together or to keep your house from falling down around you, to these people, he says, not just come after me, he says, come to me. He says, come to me. And then he says, I'll give you rest. And not just rest physically. I'll give you rest for the deepest part of it. I'll give you rest that goes down to your soul. Now, when Jesus starts talking like this, those who knew their scripture back in the day would have had some, their antenna would have been peaked. Because this is not something that a rabbi would, would just say. He wouldn't say, come to me. He would say, come to God about this because Jesus, by saying these words, he's, he's tipping his hand about his divinity here because this is an invitation. This kind of rest is a kind of rest that the prophets said that God gives us. Here's, a, here's an example of that from Isaiah uh, chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. It says this, have you not, these were hundreds of years before Jesus and Jesus is linking his teaching to this. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint. He does not grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. 
Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and shall not faint. This is, this is Jesus linking himself to this kind of teaching. This isn't coming from some college philosophy class. This isn't someone marketing a new self-help book. This isn't someone just giving advice. This invitation we have in Matthew 11 came from the lips of God himself as he walked among us. This is an invitation from God. An invitation coming from someone who can do more than give us tips on climbing the mountain. He can move them. He created them. This is an invitation. And then when he says, I'll give you rest for your souls, when Jesus says that, I'll give you rest for your souls, he's linking himself to another invitation that came through the prophets. Here, the, the centuries before, Jeremiah 6, 16 says this. This is what the Lord says. Again, hundreds of years before Jesus. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and then walk in that. And you will find what? Rest for your souls. Find the good way. Walk in the good way. And that's where you're going to find rest for your souls. But what did these folks do? They said, not for us. Not for us. We're going to walk a different way. And one of the things that I found fascinating as I dug into the word yoke in the scriptures is this is rich imagery. And there were multiple different ways. There were multiple different yokes that people were under. Multiple different pathways, yokes that the scripture identifies. Some are choosing this. Some are choosing this. Some don't have a choice. They got all hitched up like poor old Max. They're being oppressed. But there's all these different yokes that people are under. And Jesus' yoke is to contrast with that. His yoke is a contrast with all of these other yokes. Some of them you don't have a choice, but some of them are yokes that you can receive or reject. You can receive or reject. So let's take a look at these. As I look through the the scriptures, I found at least 60 references to the word yoke. And here's, um, of the references, I think there's about seven categories at least that I was able to put them into. You could maybe develop more than this, but this is the list that I came up with. Seven different yokes. Let me quickly go through the list, and then we'll go back and take them one at a time. The seven that I identified was the farm implement, the actual physical yoke. But there was also number two, military, political, and or economic oppression. Number three, subjectivity to the Old Testament law. Number four, the consequences of going your own way. Number five, the negative social, cultural, spiritual influences or being yoked together with those. Number six, burdensome religion. And then in contrast to these, at least in contrast to two through six, the yoke of Jesus Christ. I put a couple references there that's a, um, so you can look up and say, is this guy just making this up or, or is this actually scripture says it? The scripture says it. And look at the wide use of this term, this term yoke. There's all of these different nuances to it. So let's look briefly at each of the seven. And then after we do that, I'll have a question for you today. All right, number, the first yoke is the most obvious. It's the farm implement. It's the actual tool. It's, it's the yoke yoke. And just as in our culture, if I asked you, how many of you can get a picture in your head of a snow thrower or a snow blower, how many of you can get a picture in your head? All right. Would all of our pictures look identical? No. But we would all be able to come up with a picture of one, as in just this week. How many of you had your hands on one of those this week? All right. Okay. So just you know, we 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 know, we have a picture of it. It's part of our culture, 
everybody in Jesus' day, everybody in Jesus' day would have had a picture in their head of a yoke. They would have seen one. They, they, they knew what a yoke was. You, you, you knew it. It was, a, it was an object that Jesus was referring to that everyone knew. And one of the things that makes it such a strong object lesson is, I was thinking about this, throughout history in almost every culture, there's a couple of exceptions, but in almost every culture, everyone can get a picture of a yoke in their head. This was a well-chosen illustration. All right, go figure. Extremely well-chosen And then it has all kinds of layers, all kinds of layers. In Jesus' day, this yoke became a vivid symbol, not just of the farm implement, but became a vivid symbol of what it represents. A yoke was a wooden harness that fit over the shoulder of two animals. It bound them together to harness their power and to guide or control them as they plowed a field or pulled something heavy. And so... They, this, this word yoke then took on that kind of meaning in a metaphorical sense, and it began to mean ownership or service or guidance or control, which then brings us to the next ones on this list, like this one. You could be under the yoke of a military, political, or economic force. Now, that could be positive. If you had a great king and everything was going well in the kingdom, then you were under his yoke and things were, were well, but that rarely ever is the case. And so almost every example, at least all the ones that come to mind in the Bible are negative about this. To be under the the yoke of most kings was a negative thing. To be under the yoke of a military regime that's coming in to conquer your land, that was a negative thing. To be a slave, for the most part, you didn't have a, 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 a great benefactor. It was, it was an oppressive kind of deal. And while you may have never lived in a military-occupied place, and, and certainly in America, all of our politicians are just the best ever. They rule with such wonderful wisdom and everything. Um, so maybe we don't get this, but maybe you've had a job sometime where you had a boss, and, man, it just you were under this yoke that felt oppressive. In fact, I, was, I read a lot of leadership books, and one of them was saying that job satisfaction, the number one indicator of whether or not you'll be um, satisfied in your job is your relationship with your direct supervisor. If that's not good, that is the number one factor for people leaving. You'll sometimes stay in, in a position uh, longer than you would otherwise. So, so this is a very real thing. Now, this was the collective history of Israel for hundreds and hundreds of years. They were under military, political, economic oppression. And here's one sample of one of the scriptures where God speaks to this and links it to the yoke. He says this in Leviticus 26, 13, I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your what? Your yoke. I broke those bars. I enabled you to walk with heads held high. And one of the reasons in this church we keep challenging each other to be about justice and to be about acts of compassion is because this is who God is and he wants us to be like him. Helping people to get out of these oppressive situations. Here's an example of that. He says this in Isaiah 58, 6. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the what? The yoke. To set the oppressed free 
and to break every yoke. This is big on the heart of God. And it should be big on the heart of his people. So that's one type of, of yoke. Here's, here's another one. Let's move on to number three. Another type of yoke that you see in the scriptures is a subjectivity to Old Testament law. And one of the things that, that's interesting about this one is this was never meant to be heavy. To be under the yoke of God's law was a good thing. It's a good thing. By Jesus' time, the word yoke had significance for the Jewish faith. Putting on the yoke of God meant that you lived under God's authority. That you came willingly under his authority as evidenced by obedience to his law. To throw off of his, his yoke, to throw off the yoke of God, was to be in rebellion against him. And to remind themselves, at least one of the ways that they would remind themselves in the time of Jesus, that they were under God's yoke, is that they would recite what's called the Shema. Twice a day, at least twice a day, they'd say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. Might not be a bad way to start and end each day for us, huh? As we get into this new year. What if we did that? What if we reminded ourselves, let's, we're putting ourselves under the yoke of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And what if we added what Jesus added? Love your neighbor as yourself. What if we started our day with that? What if we ended our day with that? To remind ourselves, we put ourselves under that yoke. Here's another one. Number four, another way that yokes are used in the Bible. They're used to refer to the consequences of going our own way. A yoke can refer to the heavy consequences associated with just going our own way, with throwing off God's yoke and freestyling it. And I think all of us have been under this yoke before. I don't know if anyone gets through their teen years or their 20s without, here's the path God says to go down, and then we go down this path. And at first, it feels like freedom, and then it starts to feel empty. And then, if you keep going down that path, here's, here's one of the scriptures, the way they're describing it. Look at this imagery. The author of Lamentations 114 put it this way. He goes, my sins have been bound into a what? A yoke. He's like... This, the weight of the consequences of my sin, it feels like a yoke. By his hands, they were woven together. They have been hung on my neck, and the Lord has sapped my strength. He's given me into the hands of those I cannot withstand. Boy, you, you talk to somebody who's battling an addiction. This is their life whether it's an addiction to drugs or alcohol or pornography, they're just like, this thing has control over me. Talk to someone who got into spending habits that they can't break or got into debt that just feels overpowering and they're trapped. Talk to someone who got involved with someone they should have avoided. Talk to someone who lied when they should have told the truth. Talk to someone who cheated when they should have acted with integrity. Talk to someone who chased popularity and status until now I'm under the yoke of the consequences for that. And the author of Leviticus nails it. It feels like I'm under this burden now. And I don't have power. I'm being oppressed. God wants to set us free from that. And sometimes those are the heaviest burdens of all, you know, because it's self-inflicted. And usually this is how it starts. This leads into the very next one, number five. A lot of times that going the wrong path, it starts here, that we have negative cultural or social or spiritual influences that we're yoked with and they pull us that way. 
Or they lead us that way or they entice us that way. Hey, I'm going over here. I'm going out tonight. You're not coming? You know, or what do you mean you haven't seen this movie? What do you mean you haven't tried this substance? What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? The Bible calls that a yoke too. Here's a couple of examples of that. One from the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, one from 2 Corinthians 6.14 in the, in the New Testament. Psalm 106.28, they yoked themselves to Baal, this idol, this false god, and they ate sacrifices offered to lifeless gods. 2 Corinthians 6.14, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Several weeks ago, I, I told you about a study a study where they surveyed folks and 80% of the people who were uh, surveyed, 80% said, yeah, I know a Christian. And only 15% of those people said, yeah, the Christians look different than the other people that I know. I think we might be yoked a little bit with this world, with our culture, if we just look the same as everybody else. We can be under that yoke. Here's another one. Uh, Number six. Burdensome religion. Burdensome religion. By the time of Jesus, the religious leaders of the day had added hundreds and hundreds of expectations to the law that God had given his people. Throughout the book of Matthew, it's interesting. Look at how many times Jesus calls them out for that, the religious leaders. He's like, you have loaded these people up with so many burdens, you can't even carry them. And you're telling them they're supposed to, and you don't even lift a finger to help them. And Jesus calls that out. In fact, if we had time, we could just keep reading. If we picked up right where we left off in Matthew, the section we're looking at, it comes right into a teaching on the Sabbath, actually an experience that Jesus has with the Sabbath. And here, Sabbath was something that was supposed to give you rest. It was something that was supposed to fill you up. It was something that was supposed to replenish you, reconnect you with God, remind you of where everything came from, and then to actually physically rest. And by Jesus' day, it had become something stressful. Religion can become burdensome when it's just religion, when you're just doing stuff that you think you're supposed to be doing to somehow please God rather than engaging his real teaching, engaging his real instructions. There's a big difference between just being religious and having a real relationship with God. All right, well, that brings us to number seven to the one who said, come to me. And that is the yoke of Jesus Christ. In contrast to all these other yokes, at least two through six, in contrast to those, we have the yoke of Jesus Christ. Now, before I go into um, talking about why it's light, I need to make this clear. Make no mistake, this is a yoke. Do you hear that? Make no mistake, he's talking about a yoke here. This is not Jesus saying, you go do whatever you want and just call on me when you need me. That's number four. That's number five. And those don't end well. They don't end well in this life. They don't end well in eternity. This is not Jesus saying, oh, yeah, I don't have any demands on you. I'll just be there whenever you get in trouble. That's not what he's saying in this passage. This is a yoke. This is the same Jesus who said this. This is Matthew 7. This comes before the passage that we read here. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Look at what he says here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of 
you who just threw off the yoke. Depart from me. You never knew. You didn't respond to my invitation. Come to me. You don't want to hear these words. Nobody does. This passage, again, is about a yoke. It's a pathway. The passage right before this is about repentance. It's about turning from sin, turning to God. In chapter 16, the yoke becomes a cross. And Jesus says, if anyone comes after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. If you want to save your own life, you're going to lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, that's when you're going to find it. So if this is the case, if the yoke is a yoke, how can it be light? How can a cross possibly be light? Because Jesus is inviting us to the life we were created to live. And when we understand why he says what he says, we recognize his commands are not burdensome. His commands are not burdensome. They might feel like it. They will interrupt your life if you're on any other path. They completely will. But his yoke is a good yoke. And, and we've experienced this in different ways before. You know, I, this week, I, um, I've, I've always had a little lump on my back. I always had a little lump. This week, I turned into Quasimodo overnight. I mean, I had this huge lump on my back. Laura's like, whoa, where'd that come from? And, and so she's like, you got to get into the hospital so, or to the, to the doctor. So I put myself under the yoke of a physician. And the, being under the yoke meant you have to go to the doctor. You have to, I don't have time to go to the doctor. You got to go to the doctor. So I, I go under the yoke of their schedule. I go under the yoke of lying on a table when they hack at my back. And well, she didn't hack at the back. She made a careful incision and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I laid there while they put stitches on my back that feel uncomfortable. I, she, she, she told me to be under my yoke now. There's a whole lot of things for the next week you can't do that you normally do. This is part of the yoke now. And then on top of all that, it cost me money for her to cut a hole in my back and all this stuff, interrupt my schedule. But, but here's the thing. I put myself under that yoke willingly, gladly. I'm not glad that my schedule got to rearrange. I'm not glad on some of these things. But I did it. Why? Because when something starts growing on your back, you attend to that, right? And there's a life on the other side of stitches, getting the cyst removed that had grown up. You know, that, 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 that's what, I, I want that. That's going to be better for me than walking, you know, like all this. Right? So, so yeah, so this is, it's something that I wanted. I went under her yoke. The burden, the commands of Jesus, they're light. Because it's a life that we were created to live. It may not feel like it at first. Some things might be painful until we understand them, until we walk in them. Jesus says, come to me. Jesus says, learn from me. And when he says this, these aren't abstract principles. These are real behaviors that Jesus actually applied to his own life. And his life was filled with greater stressors than you or I will ever face. And they worked for him. And the people that he gave this to, most of them were feeling stressors beyond anything that most of us could bear. And it worked for them. So let's look at this over the next couple weeks and then certainly months, years. Let's look at the way of Jesus. How did he live? How did he walk? When the word became flesh and dwelt among us, what did that actually look like? Here's, if, if I were to summarize the way of Jesus... If I were to summarize it, here's how I would summarize it with these seven practices, 
It's not the perfect list, but here's how I would do it. Number one, one of the things that was true about Jesus and his way, he engaged in transformational spiritual practices. This wasn't just religion for him. He actually met with God. When he did practices, they actually were replenishing for him. He was able to identify these things that made a huge difference. He was too busy not to pray. And he would get together with the Father and he would hear and he would receive what he needed for the journey. He needed scripture. He, his mission was too important to not know his scripture. And it came out constantly as, 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 he, was, as he was interacting with people. Finding these transformational spiritual practices. There's not a one-size-fits-all set of these. I was talking to um, Patty uh, after the service, and she's just one of our resident theologians. And she said, hey, did you have a chance to look up the word easy when you were studying this passage? My yoke is easy. I'm like, I didn't have a chance to do that. She said, did you know that that word really, in reference here to this, it means custom-fitted. My yoke is custom-fitted. You know, some of you, you've been trying to engage in spiritual practices that don't work. I, I, I remember in seminary, journal, journal, journal. I'm like, I hate journaling. What should I journal about? How about I hate journaling? You know, it doesn't work for me. And finally, I was like, Jesus doesn't journal. You know... For some people, they get a lot out of it. Some people, that they because they're like, look how God answered my prayers. It helps me to sort out my thoughts. For some people, it works. For others, it doesn't. Custom-fitted, what works for you? Some of us are activists. And for us, we get, we get transformed. We get energized when we're out there doing. Others, you're energized in the, in the world of ideas. Now, do we all need to think? Yes. Do we all need to act? Yes. But what fills you up? You know, some of us, you know, I, I, I love to, to learn, and so I, I, I can just digest books, and I can get filled up with that. Boy, if you just, here, Laura, you know, just read this book and get energized. You know? But her, if she gets in a group, if she gets with people, she's like, oh, that was so filling. You know, to be in this discussion and, and to share our thoughts and our feelings and our emotions, and I'm like, oh, boy. You know? So... What is custom-fitting? You're going to have to find this out, but come to Jesus. Come to him. Help him to learn from, learn from him. Start to find what fills you up. There's some things that we all do. Just as anyone learned a basketball, you've got to do fundamentals. But, but there are some things that are going to replenish you, fill you, transform you. What are those? I'll go quicker on the last ones. Mostly because I, I... Anyway, I'll just keep going. Sabbath rest. That was part of Jesus' rhythm. It's part of the rhythm of creation. Every seven days, take a day off to rest, to replenish. Not in a legalistic sense. It had become something stressful. What what would bring you rest? And then this next one, missional living, meaningful work. Jesus had purpose. If you want to be filled up, Find ways to be about the kingdom wherever you are in your oppressive situation. Look at the, the, New, Testament situ- the New Testament folks singing in prisons. God's using them all over the place in the midst of persecution. You can actually be filled up in what would otherwise be a draining situation if you can learn to do this. What am I about? How am I serving? How am I about kingdom things? That was the way of Jesus. 
Next one, this is no surprise here, close community. We all need this. Even those of us who, who, who aren't, don't gravitate towards it, we all need it. To have, you know, Jesus, you look at his life, he had the crowds. He had then this larger group of disciples. Then he had 12 disciples. And then he had this three. You know, who, who's your three? Who, who are those people that can, that can help you with close community? And then this next one, simplicity. Complexity drains. Simplicity restores. If you make New Year's resolutions, you know what? Some of us, we shouldn't add things. Some of us, the best New Year's resolution could be, I'm going to drop three things. What are they going to be? What am I going to cut this year? One of the most spiritual things you could do perhaps this year, depending on your situation, could be, what am I going to cut? What good thing am I going to cut this year? Simplicity. That marked his life. Generosity, obviously. We're going to press into that one next week. Nick, you got it all figured out, right? It's total. yeah, it's going to be perfect. Best sermon you've ever heard in your entire life is happening next week. Tell all your friends. Set your expectations. How's that? Is that, that good? You all ready to go? He's like, wait till tomorrow, right? Okay, here we go. And then the other one, the other one's more by inference. We don't, we don't know a whole lot about Jesus' healthy habits, but we just, we can infer a whole lot of things just because of where he was and where he walked. He was outside. He was eating simple foods. There's some of these things that were just part of his way by inference that were life-giving, that were replenishing. When it got dark, they used to sleep before electricity, you know. Imagine, just imagine. If you started this Christmas, if you said, God, I want to respond to that invitation, which is really a gift. I want to respond to that. Lord, I'm going to submit to your yoke. Not even knowing fully what this is all going to look like, but yep, yep, I'm in. I'll submit to your yoke. Imagine if you did that this Christmas, what you'd feel like next Christmas. You think you'd feel heavier? Or do you think you'd feel lighter? and recharged, and replenished. So as we close today, here's my question for you. Which yoke are you under? There's a place to write this in your notes, but more importantly than writing it down, think about that. Which yoke are you under? Which path are you on? You know, if you're like me, some of those things on the list, yeah, killing that. And other ones, oh yeah, that rest thing. Are, are, are you, does this list, the whole list, is this something you're pursuing? Because it doesn't work just with pieces. You can overcompensate in one area and it doesn't do any good. It's, I was thinking this morning, it's kind of like this. Let's say you want to go get a new car. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? But if, let's just pretend that you can get a new car. And you go into the dealership you say, yep, I want that car, but I don't want wheels. Don't need those. Or I want that new car. I don't need an engine. Yeah, I'm good. Or a gas tank. That was so 2014, you know. It doesn't work, right? The car needs all these things. This, the, the, what we're looking at with the way of Jesus, it's, it's a comprehensive deal. And you start leaving pieces out in that yoke, then it's no longer the yoke. You've, you've turned it into something that it's, that's not, that's fashioned in your own image, rather than this is really the yoke of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you to say yes to God's invitation, to take his yoke upon you. And when we get done praying here together, you might say, you know, there's some unfinished business, and I'd love to pray more. Well, see that sign there right over to your right? What do you think happens right there by that sign? Just wondering if you... 
Prayer, yes, prayer happens. You're so smart. You're not only compassionate, you're so smart too. Yes, we, we would have people that would be right over there by that sign each and every week that would love to pray with you. Not just about this, if you're saying, I, boy, I really want concentrated prayer over my schedule. You might have been thinking through this whole message, schedule, schedule. I, that's the least of my worries right now, you know? Because what the doctor told me is not as simple as I can get something cut out for your situation. Or maybe stuff that's going on at home. It's just, I need some brothers and sisters in Christ to join me in prayer. You know, or whatever your need is. Or even to celebrate something. There'll be people that would love to pray with you after the service. But let's, as we uh, close here today, I want to join us all in prayer. And as we do, I want to give that invitation one more time. This time from the message paraphrase. I like how, how uh, Eugene, uh, is it Eugene Pearson? How he translated this passage. He says this paraphrasing the words of Jesus. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion will come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Isn't that good? Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay, I, I got a customized yoke for you. I had a customized yoke for you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. All right, let's pray. Father, you could have extended any yoke to us. And this is the one you've extended. One that is custom-fitted for our lives. One that is custom-fitted to bring us to the life that you have for us, both in this world and in the world to come. Thank you. Father, we pray for your spirit to give us the courage and the strength to say yes to this. To say yes to your way. To coming to you and learning what this means. Learning how to walk this out. Coming to you and allowing you to teach us what, what are the practices that bring me life. What, what, what are the relationships that, that you would have for me that could, could fill me up. What does Sabbath look like in my life right now? All of these things. Lord, help us to say yes and to come to you and and to allow you to teach us what this means. Thank you for sending your spirit. We pray for your spirit to fill our hearts and fill our minds to lead and guide us and to set us free from all these other things. Lord, thank you for this, this season of Advent where we can focus in on the way you came into our world so that we can we can see this example before us. So Lord, help us again to say yes to this invitation of yours, both in the week to come and forevermore. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.